services as well. So good morning to you all. Thank you, Kevin, for those hymns and those choruses. Um, This morning we are picking up our series in Mark. Um, And we've had a two-week break, and we're looking at verses 14 to 29 of chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, please do turn towards it. We're going to see the different responses to Jesus and his message, as well as John the Baptist's death because of preaching Jesus faithfully. And just as a reminder, it has been three weeks since we last spoke on Mark, and three weeks ago Paul preached on the first 13 verses. This was Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on their first apostolic mission. And the passage this morning is sandwiched between that sending out from Jesus and the return of the disciples. And we'll touch on that a bit later. The passage, I'd argue, has application to both the Christian and the non-Christian, the believer and the non-believer. For the Christian, it serves as a lesson of both the difficulty of following Jesus and the different responses you will face as you preach him and the good news of Jesus. And for those who are not yet saved, who have not accepted Jesus as your saviour, you might be challenged this morning in identifying your response among those we look at this morning, the negative responses. And before we take time to read our passage, I'd like to give a bit of background information on three of the characters we're going to look at this morning. John the Baptist, King Herod and Herodias. We've already met John the Baptist in our series in Mark. Right at the start of the book, we're introduced to him as a messenger sent by God. He's a messenger sent by God. And we're told in chapter one that he preached to people and told them to repent of their sins but that there was someone else coming after him who was greater than him, who was mightier than him. In fact, we're told that John was prophesied in the Old Testament as the one who would pave or prepare the way for the promised Messiah. And we're told in Acts 19, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. So John preached repentance, and repentance is really turning away from sin. He preached repentance and turning towards Jesus, the Son of God, for forgiveness. And this is the same message that was carried on by Jesus and his disciples, and was passed through the generations down to us today. And we are incredibly grateful and thankful to those faithful Christians who have come before us. For that's the reason we have heard this message today. So that's John the Baptist, King Herod. Whenever we hear of a Herod in the Bible, it can be very confusing, especially for me, because there are six different Herods mentioned in the New Testament, and they're all related to one another. The first Herod, the one you might know best, is Herod the Great. Although he was called the Great, he was really an evil man. He's the one mentioned in Christ's birth in the Christmas story, the one who tried to trick the wise men and who actually ordered the execution of the babies in Bethlehem which led Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt with the baby Jesus. King Herod the Great was a power-hungry and paranoid man, and prior to his death, he murdered anyone who he thought posed a threat to his throne, and that included one of his own sons five days before his death he killed. He was an evil, vicious, murderous, and lustful man who had ten wives. The other five Herods we read of in the New Testament are either his sons or grandsons, And they all share in his evil attributes. The King Herod we'll read of this morning is Herod Antipas, one of Herod the Great's sons. And he wasn't a real king even. We refer to him, and it's in the Bible, as King Herod. But Israel was under Roman power at this time. And Rome instituted these regional rulers to basically rule under Caesar. There did Caesar's bidding. 
So any power that was delegated to these rulers was minimal. And if they made any mistakes, they would quickly be replaced and either exiled or executed. So Herod Antipas was really a low-ranking ruler who would use the term king to try and seem more important than he really was. And we'll also read, we've seen John the Baptist, King Herod, of Herod, King Herod's wife named Herodias. And Herodias was King Herod's half-brother Philip's ex-wife. And because Philip was still alive, we will see that it was against God's law that Herod married Herodias. Not only this, but Herodias was actually the granddaughter of Herod the Great, which made her both King Herod and his half-brother Philip's niece. And in these things, we start to see that Herod the Great's evil um, and his incestuous relationships have permeated and continued beyond his death through his descendants. So this morning, through these three characters and a few others that we'll come across, we're going to see the different responses to Jesus and his message of repentance. And the responses we're going to look at are false identification or confusion, fear, fury, fascination, apathy, I couldn't quite get another F in, but also of faithful obedience. So let's read from the Bible now. And as we do so, try and watch for the responses to Jesus and his message. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 7, just for context. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Moving to chapter, uh, verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And then just verse 30 as well. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. I wonder if you're able to identify some of the responses to Jesus and his message that we read through that passage. It's no problem if you didn't get any of them or all of them, as that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first reaction I would like to look at is in verses 14 to 15, where we see confusion leading to false identification of who Jesus is. 
We are told that King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And it's a testament to Jesus and the twelve disciples' work in spreading the name, in spreading the name of Jesus and his message, that this buzz in Galilee had reached King Herod's ears. And as people hear the news of a man and his disciples who perform miracles, they've been casting out demons, bringing people back to life, performing physical healings, they naturally consider the question, who is this man? And there are three popular but incorrect beliefs given in verses 14 to 15. One, that that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. Two, that he is Elijah. Or three, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. So very briefly, why are these false? Well, Jesus is not John the Baptist. We see in Luke 1, where Mary and Elizabeth meet when they're both pregnant with John and Jesus, um, that they met. So while they're a similar age, Jesus was not John raised from the dead. Jesus is also not Elijah. And among the people at the time, there was a widespread belief of the Jews that the Old Testament prophet Elijah, who never actually died, but instead were told in God's word, went up by a whirlwind into heaven, that Elijah would return at the end of time. And while this was a correct view, fulfilling the prophecy in Malachi that Elijah would return, Jesus himself comments on this in Matthew 17, but I t- where he says, I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus was not Elijah, because John the Baptist represented Elijah. And the prophecy had already been fulfilled through and in John. And third, Jesus was not merely a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. Jesus was far greater than the prophets that came before him, for he was the son of God. So our first response this morning to Jesus is a false identification of him. And 2,000 years later, there are still those today who have a wrong understanding of who Jesus is and his identity. Some will say he never existed. Even though historians will be quick to tell you there's more and better quality evidence of his existence than that of Julius Caesar. Or some might acknowledge he did live, but would only think of him as a good man or a good teacher. But who does the Bible, the direct word and revelation of God, say that Jesus is? In Matthew 16, we read a conversation between Jesus and his disciples exploring this question of who Jesus is. Which says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, had heard the false rumours about who Jesus was, the same ones that Herod had heard. But instead of confusion, he had no hesitation in proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour, the Son of God. Peter, his disciple, had identified him correctly. And I'd suggest that if we consider Jesus as a good, solely a good or moral teacher, as many would say today, if you ask them, who is Jesus? I compare this to admiring a single brushstroke while disregarding the entire painting. His teachings are undeniably significant, but Jesus offers much more as the son of God. He brings redemption, forgiveness and eternal life. Who do you believe Christ is?
Moving on, we see a fearful response to Jesus. We read in verse 20 that Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When John was alive and Herod held him prisoner on account of him preaching the message of repentance from sin, we're told that Herod feared John. This might have been because Herod feared an uprising on account of John's popularity, or because he feared some kind of divine punishment for his sin. What we do know is that the Herods had a family history of great paranoia of losing what little power they held on to. So as Herod hears these rumours of who Jesus might be, we can understand why he latched on to this belief that this must be John raised from the dead. Because in verse 16, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, whom I beheaded, has been raised. It was Herod who had unjustly executed Herod, uh, John. And he thought this man had risen from the dead and may seek retribution against him. But we also see a different type of fear in Herod in this passage. And it's the fear of man or the fear of the opinion of others. After Herodias' daughter had danced at Herod's birthday party, he made a rash promise. Verse 22, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. We've already seen that Herod had no authority to give away any of his kingdom. Because it wasn't his, it was Caesar's. But that doesn't stop his pride. Herod's pride made him make this promise in front of his banquet guests. And we can see that his guests included his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. People who he wanted to have a high opinion of him. And in response to Herod's vow, after being prompted by her mother, Herodias' daughter replies, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. Herod did not want to kill John, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her, we're told. Instead of doing what was right, even what he wanted to do, his pride sought the approval of his dinner guests, and he ordered John to be executed. His fear of the opinion and the approval of others led him to reject Jesus by executing John. He cared more about his reputation and status than a man's life and acting rightly before God. I wonder if anyone here has reacted to Jesus and his message of repentance, of turning towards him with fear. Yes, there is a healthy fear of God that believers are to have. But this healthy fear of God leads to submission to him and obedience to his word. The fear displayed by Herod here is different. It's driven by what following Jesus might lose him. His power, his authority, his popularity. Is there anything that you are holding on to that Jesus demands you to repent, to turn away from, that is preventing you coming to him for salvation? What are you fearful you might lose by following Jesus? We will see later that following Jesus can come at the cost of suffering and sacrifice. But following Jesus also comes with great reward. Eternal life with him. The next response we see is fury. We're told in verses 17 to 19. For it was Herod who had sentenced John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife 
because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And here we see the fury. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. Rather than listening to John and repenting of her sin, Herodias becomes angry and sought to put him to death, to get rid of him. But we're told she did not have the authority to do so. Verses 21 to 23 of our passage we read, But an opportunity came. An opportunity came for Herodias to get exactly what she wanted. And she took it. Like Herod, she too had rejected Jesus' message of repentance. She'd rejected it, that, the message that was given through John. Her anger resulted in her being an accessory to his murder in the execution of John. And there are people today who show the same fury when they hear the message of repentance, turning away from sin, and turning to Christ alone for salvation. We can think of extreme stories we might have heard of abroad today of Christians being killed for their faith, for proclaiming Christ the Son of God and preaching repentance towards him. And we can also think of milder cases of those who are offended by Jesus Offended by the message of repentance towards him from people who want to do what they believe is right in their eyes rather than obeying what God has declared is right and wrong in his word. The challenge for us then, are you offended when you hear from God's word on what he declares is right and wrong? Would you prefer to do things your way or would you prefer to follow God and accept his way? So that is a fury response to the Bible and the word of God. Next response we will look at is fascination. We read in Luke 9, well we, will, we can read in Luke 9, that Herod heard all that was happening and that he sought to see him. Herod wanted to see one of the miracles that he had heard about. And he had a desire to meet Jesus. Herod had a desire to meet Jesus. We then see in verse 20 of our passage that Herod, when he heard him, this is John, was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard John gladly when he was speaking about Christ. He liked to listen to John speaking about Jesus. We see here that truth can make an impact and be attractive even to evil men. The truth can make an impact and be attractive even among evil men. But in this case, the words spoken by John about Jesus, about repentance, can be compared to the seed that falls on the path described in Matthew 13, where it says... When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, that is the devil, and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The message had been snatched away from Herod's heart and he was left perplexed. He did not repent and leave Herodias and John remained in prison. We read later that Herod did have his desire fulfilled to meet Jesus after Pontius Pilate sent Jesus to him. In Luke 23, we read of the encounter. When Herod saw Jesus, this is his wish coming true, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Herod was fascinated with Jesus and had a desire and interest to meet him. But when the opportunity came, 
Jesus did not do what Herod wanted him to. He would not perform as Herod wanted. And it resulted in Herod treating Jesus with contempt and mockery. So we see that fascination and interest in Jesus and his message is not enough to be saved. Focusing only on the bits we are interested in, like Herod did with Jesus and his miracles, and ignoring the bits we don't like, results in the rejection of Jesus. It results in contempt and mockery of him. And we may come across people, perhaps they go to church regularly, that are fascinated or interested about the message of Jesus. But when they truly encounter him by hearing from the word of God, the Bible, they don't repent or accept him as their saviour. We can liken this to a starving man who on smelling the wonderful aroma of a delicious meal is drawn towards it. But on reaching it, he decides not to sit down and partake in the feast because it's a food he does not recognize. He rejects the meal that would bring restoration and salvation to him. It's great that you're all here this morning, that we have a good number, that you have some interest in hearing more about Jesus. But have you accepted Jesus Have you accepted him and his message of repentance for yourself? Or are you merely a spectator, demanding that Jesus perform for you? Are you merely a spectator? Or have you accepted Jesus and his message of repentance? For those of you who are saved, who have accepted Jesus as Savior, who have turned to him in repentance, we are challenged by this passage to proclaim the whole truth of God, not only the bits that are naturally attractive, or that people might find interesting. We aren't to make the message of God any more palatable or different to how it is in attempt to attract listeners to hear the word. We've seen that the truth is attractive and in itself enjoyable. We should echo the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Have you accepted Jesus as your saviour? Are you proclaiming him as he is in God's word? It's a challenge to me, as all these things are, and I hope it's a challenge to you as well. Continuing on, we come to the banquet guest response, and that's of apathy, or indifference, or you might say passivity. We're told, verse 21... Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. Herod had a reputation for debauchery. So this birthday party would likely be the pinnacle or the peak of this. We're told Herod and his guests enjoyed the dancing of Herodias' daughter, Herod's niece. And as we've already seen, that when she requested John be beheaded, it was, verse 26, because of his oaths, and his guests, he did not want to break his vow to her. Herod was proud, which led to a fear of man and of their opinion, as we've seen. But he was also apathetic. We also see an apathetic or indifferent response by his guests who attended his birthday. We don't read of any interest, any enthusiasm or concern in stopping the execution taking place. And I'd suggest that's because there was none. There was no interest, there was no enthusiasm, there was no concern for John. There are those with the same response to Jesus and his message today, who show no response, who are apathetic, indifferent, 
show a passive response. But apathy is the same as rejection. Accepting Jesus and his message requires an active response by us. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We see here, to be saved, you must confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then you will be saved. An apathetic, passive, indifferent response to Jesus is rejecting him. Picture living in a neglected house that is falling into disrepair. I won't look around fernally. With a leaky roof, cracks appearing in the walls, and crumbling foundations. If we are apathetic, ignoring the necessary repairs needed, the house will eventually collapse, causing the death of those inside. Similarly, apathy towards Jesus' message of repentance is like ignoring the necessary repairs for your soul, resulting in punishment of eternal death and separation from God and his love. Do you have an apathetic, passive, indifferent response to Jesus and his message? Have you rejected Jesus as your saviour? Finally, the last response we'll look at to Jesus and his message is from John and Jesus' disciples. I can't say it's the most important reaction, for all the responses we've seen have eternal consequences. But it is definitely the correct response. This is the response which will give the most joy in this life and for eternity. And this response is faithful obedience to Jesus and his message. And we see this from both John and Jesus' disciples. Mark 1, we're introduced to John for the first time with these words in verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So John, from the beginning, preached Jesus' message of repentance, the turning away from sin towards God. And we've read from our passage that he continued this. Verse 18, John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Here John rebukes Herod. But what is he rebuking him for? How do we know that Herod has committed a sin against God, that he has rejected a command of God? Well, Leviticus is a book in the Old Testament, and chapter 18 of Leviticus is on unlawful sexual relations, with verse 16 saying, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. So Herod is going against what God has commanded. He has sinned in marrying his brother's wife. And even with Herod's earthly authority over him, John does not back down from proclaiming the message. He doesn't temper his message to try and make it more attractive or palatable. And so faithfully did John proclaim Jesus' message of repentance that we've seen Herodias wanted to put him to death. Even then he did not back down. Did not back down from the message. John was faithful to Jesus and his message, showing unwavering commitment to God's truth even when it risked and would end up costing his life. John knew that the eternal benefits of faithfulness to God and his word would far outweigh the temporary pain and suffering during his life. We then read of Jesus' disciples' faithful obedience. We read that Jesus had sent out the twelve disciples two by two, and they, in verses 12 to 13, went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. The disciples went out and did exactly as Jesus had commanded them to. 
They were faithful and obedient to him and his message. And not only did they go out, we read of their return in verse 30, after our section on the death of John the Baptist. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. They'd done and taught a lot, and they told all of Jesus about it on their return. They didn't just accept Jesus and his message and believe it for a little time, for a little while. They continued believing, continued in faithful obedience to him, continued telling others about him. True followers of Jesus, true Christians, are those who continue in faithful obedience to him and his message of daily repentance. We won't be perfect before we get to heaven, but we are daily to seek to repent of any sin in our lives and to proclaim the message of Jesus to others. It's the same message that the disciples preached, the same message that John preached. And that is a challenge for each and every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus. Are we telling others about Jesus and are we seeking a daily repentance of our sin towards him? I mentioned that our passage this morning is sandwiched between the start of the disciples' successful mission trip and their return. That's their first mission trip. And I think Mark does this to show us that faithful obedience to God will not always result in an easy life. The disciples and John preached the same message of repentance to God, and yet the disciples returned to Jesus. But John did not. But when John was executed, his soul went immediately to heaven to be with Christ, and to be in heaven, and to enjoy him forever. While the disciples remained on earth to continue God's plans for them. Both were successful in their faith and obedience to God. And we are reminded that God's work continues despite opposition. Like the twelve disciples and John, believers today are commissioned to go out and preach the same message of repentance to those who do not yet know Jesus as their Saviour. And following Jesus is not guaranteed to be an easy or a successful life in earthly terms. But what is guaranteed is that everything we do will be worth it. An eternity of joy and peace awaits all believers and faithful obedience in serving him will lead to great blessings in heaven. In closing, we have seen different responses this morning to God's message of repentance from sin and turning to Jesus. We've seen false identification or confusion, fear, fury, fascination and apathy, but also that of faithful obedience. And I wonder which of these you relate to most this morning. We've read that John paved or prepared the way for Jesus, the one greater, mightier than him. But we also see John's death foreshadows and anticipates the violent death of Jesus and his burial. Violent death of Jesus and his burial. There are many parallels we could go into between John and Jesus' death. We don't have time to this morning. But what we are told is that when Jesus heard of John's death, in Matthew 14, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. John's death foreshadowed to Jesus what was awaiting him at the cross. He knew of the suffering that he would face as he was abandoned, not only by his disciples, but forsaken and separated for a time from God himself in taking the punishment for our sins. In that moment, Jesus sought a desolate, a lonely place to contemplate his upcoming death. And thanks be to God that Jesus was obedient to death. 
That he went willingly to that cross to die for your sins and for mine. Thanks be to God that he willingly went to that cross. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that believers today have hope of eternal life. And it is a message worth dying for. The Bible is clear that as Christians, we stand for Jesus and we will suffer for Jesus. And we know that while we may be despised by people, kings, rulers in life, we will reign with the true king for all eternity one day, enjoying him forever. I wonder who needs to be reminded of this amazing truth this morning. If your response to God is anything but faithful obedience to him and his word, the Bible, then you need to repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your saviour today. You might not get another opportunity. We don't know what the next minute holds for us. To truly repent concerning salvation is to change your mind regarding sin and the Lord Jesus Christ. To abhor your past rejection of him and to embrace him as your saviour and messiah. That is not to say that Christians, those who have accepted Christ already as their personal saviour, will not sin. But on accepting Christ, there's a change in our disposition. A new way of thinking about God, about our sin, about our holiness and about doing God's will. The pattern of a true believer, a real Christian's life, is that of faithful obedience to God and ongoing turning away from sin. Ongoing repentance as we cling to Jesus and seek to become more like him every day. So I ask each of you to consider seriously this morning, what is your response to Jesus? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to come together. We thank you that we can hear of your love for us in the choruses we have sung and sending your son to die for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We thank you for the good news that was proclaimed by John the Baptist, by the disciples and by Jesus himself that we can come to salvation, that we can turn to you in repentance from our sin and we can be accepted and we can have salvation, that we can spend eternity with you It starts the moment we first believe that we can enjoy you forever if we accept Christ as our personal saviour. Pray for each and every one of us this morning that we would ask ourselves how we are responding to Jesus, how we are responding to you. We pray that we would not show any of these negative responses, that we would not be fearful, we would not be angry, we would not be apathetic, but that we would respond in faithful obedience to your word, to give our lives to you, every day we would seek to become more like Christ as we cling to him, as we think of his death at Calvary, and that we would seek to become more like him so that we can please you. And we just pray that anyone here who has not yet accepted Jesus as their saviour, that you would grant them true salvation, that you convict them through your Holy Spirit, and that as the word has been sown, it would be as the, the word that was sown in the good soil and would yield fruit of 30 times, 60 times, a hundredfold. And that we would rejoice with the angels in heaven at seeing a sinner who repents. So we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for everyone here. We do pray that as we leave, you'd bless us. Help us to go out and go strongly for you. And just be close to us. And that we'd seek to draw near to you more and more every day. And we do pray that you'd give us the strength to do this. And we ask all these things in your son's precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.